Hello, and thank you for joining us today on The Purpose. I'm Bill Brunson. And I'm Kip McClure. And today we're going to be talking about a passage from the Gospel of St. Luke, the 17th chapter, verses 11 through 19. And those verses tell us, On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten men with a skin disease approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, Were not ten made clean? So where are the other nine? Did none of them return to give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Well, today we have this passage that is a, well, in light of the fact that this this week is Thanksgiving week, this is a passage that talks about giving thanks, and it's a it's a unique passage set in a in a time when certain diseases caused you to have to go away from everyone and live on your own. and And while this translation refers to them as the people having a skin disease, other translations refer to it as leprosy. Um, and if you were thought to have leprosy. In the time of Jesus, you had to live outside the community, and and when people came near you, you shouted, unclean, unclean, uh, which was uh, to inform them to stay away. Um, And so these people have a disease, and yet when they call out to Jesus to have mercy on them, uh, probably expecting that Jesus will give them a, a little bit of bread, maybe uh, some other kind of food, some meat, something like that, that, that he or the disciples might be carrying with them for their journey. When they call out, have mercy on us, Jesus does something better than a little bit of food for the moment. Jesus heals them. But the interesting thing, after he tells them to go and show themselves to the priest, which we'll talk about later, After he says that, and they start going, and they're healed, only one comes back to say thank you. It always reminds me of this ancient legend about two angels who were sent down to earth from heaven, and their job was to collect the prayers of the people. They had bowls that they were supposed to put the prayers in and, and take them up to up to heaven. And, and so every day they would go and, and they, one would have one bowl, one would have the other bowl, and one bowl would get full every day and the other bowl was empty or only had maybe one or two prayers in it at most. And you can probably guess where it this goes, uh, the angel carrying the bowl that gets filled is the angel carrying the bowl of petitions. Uh, please give me this. Please let me have that. Please do this for me. Please make that happen for me or whatever the, all the petition prayers and the prayer that only might get one or two. Well, that was the prayer of thank you. 
actually going back to God and saying thank you. And I, I guess as we're as we're going into the Thanksgiving holiday and and truly a season of Thanksgiving, it's probably a good reminder that far often, maybe more often than we want to admit, we don't put very many prayers in that second bowl either. We cry out. Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, fix this. Fix that. Give me this. Give me that. But we forget to come back and say thank you. Yeah, we we get very comfortable with life, and uh, we kind of come to assume that all of the the, uh, the the niceties of life and all of the uh, the good things that we have. Uh, the restaurants that we get to eat at, the uh, the electricity in our home, the, the water that flows in our home, uh, that all of those are just, well, they're just expected. That's the normalcy. That's the ground level. And often it takes uh, something pretty severe to knock us out of what is for us a, a nice first world experience. Uh, we had a situation where a tree fell uh, in the forest, and we did hear it, by the way, uh, as it knocked uh, our um, the electrical panel off of our home and then proceeded to knock down the uh, the telephone pole or, with, or the light pole with uh, the transformer on it and practically every other light pole that's attached to it. And we, uh, we knew it was going to be a couple of days, and it was just a kind of a warm season uh, but they assured us that that they thought they could get it together in a day and a half so we we had a little generator and we would uh, you know run as much as we could but it extended from a day to two days and then they thought they needed permits and then they discovered they didn't need permits but by then we were into day four and by day four without electricity Without being able to cook your normal way, with with having to uh, get by, well, you start you start thanking God for the things that you really took you took it for granted, and uh, the small things. Just uh, I can watch Amazon uh, versus I can't. I I have electricity, and and if you go on a if you've ever been on a mission trip. I think one of the greatest things about going into a third world country is realizing how much we do take for granted and and how much um, having your own transportation and having clean water and having electricity, having air conditioning, not having bugs that live in your house, at least they're not supposed to, those are all things that, that – we just assume, but it's amazing to me when I come back from those experiences how it prompts me to be grateful and and to be thankful to God for just the smallest of stuff. Right. You I mean it, it's it's so easy to take things for granted, um, and it's easy to take well days for granted. The fact that we have today, uh, it's really easy to take that for granted because. You know, we, we like to just assume that we have ever how many more years left. 
but every day's a gift. Everything's a gift. And so the people that Jesus is dealing with, you know, these are people who really any anything they got was a gift. No one interacted with them, no one helped them because they were people that were considered to have leprosy, a very contagious and very deadly disease. Yeah, I noticed in uh in chapter uh, excuse me, verse 11 that it said he was on his way between the regions of Samaria and Galilee from Jerusalem. So these were people that were living isolated, away from the population centers. They had been rejected by the Samaritans uh, because the one that returned was a Samaritan. They'd been rejected by the Jewish people. So they were, they were their own colony. They were their own grouping rejected by everyone that, that they had known. And so when they call out to Jesus and ask for mercy and Jesus heals them, he tells them to go and, and show themselves to the priest. What Jesus is doing here is if you look back in the Levitical law and the Mosaic law, you'd find that there was a procedure. If you were healed from leprosy, there was a procedure where you went and you presented yourself to the priest. You would, you would wash yourself and present yourself to the priest, and then you would be deemed clean, and you could go back to your village or back to your family, back to your life. And they, the priest would basically were, were the health officers at the time. Now, reality is Hansen's disease, which is leprosy, it wasn't cured until centuries later. Um, and so that's why modern translations will often say they had skin diseases, uh, because it's possible these people had seasonal psoriasis. Seasonal psoriasis can make your skin very dry, very flaky. Well, leprosy in its early days can make your skin dry and flaky. And so the Jewish people, in a sense of preservation, if you don't know the difference and they had no diagnostic tool to tell them the difference between seasonal psoriasis and leprosy, well, the best thing you can do is the first time skin is dry and flaky and ashen and all of that, you get out, you send them out of the village, get them away from the rest of the population. So we don't know how long these people have been out there. Do they all have seasonal psoriasis, and is there a chance that they could have one day gone back to their uh, gone back to their home uh, at some point? Maybe were they all actually lepers, and there's no chance on earth that they're going back home? Uh, they're going to live out there until they die out there. Quite possible. And so when they call out to Jesus, they are truly living ostracized by society. The Jewish people were ostracized by the Jewish society. Samaritan was ostracized by the Samaritan society. And their only hope is people to have mercy on them. Jesus offers them something even greater. He offers them his mercy, but he offers them healing. And that's pretty phenomenal. And he sends them to the priest uh, because if you show back up in your village and announce, I'm healed, the traveling rabbi from Nazareth healed me, they're probably not going to let you in. 
You have to show up with the certificate from the priest that says you can return back to life. And so he's doing, he is obeying Mosaic law. As he said, he didn't come to abandon, uh, abandon the law or banish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so he is doing what is supposed to be done under the law. But the thing is, when they walk away and they are healed, it doesn't take long to take that for granted. That's what I always take away from that moment. It doesn't take long as they're walking away from Jesus and suddenly their skin becomes normal again. It doesn't take long for them to switch their thinking and you can almost picture what's going through their mind. I need to get to the priest, and I need to get the certificate, I need to get home because I've been healed, and I need to get back to work, I need to get back to my family, I need to, I mean, the list starts going, and they, you know, nothing seems to register with them that they need to turn around and say thank you, or even give a head nod to the one who had just given them this great gift. Only one goes back and says thank you. And I think it's interesting that they he comes back to say thank you to uh, to God for what's been done in his life. The word that's used there for thank you when Jesus says only one of you comes back to say thank you. Uh, the word that's used there is the same word that Jesus uses at the Last Supper when he gives thanks to God as he breaks the bread and as he lifts the cup. Uh, that would be his his body and blood for us. The 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 same word that we get uh, the word Eucharist from the great Thanksgiving that is part of of the communion service. And so, only one comes back to say thank you. And I think you know in our world today, maybe that's what happens to us when we offer a prayer of. God, help me do this or help me deal with that or give me this or give me that or, you know, show me where I need to go. Show me what I need to do. Show me how I need to act, whatever those petitions might be. I think what happens is that it's, it's like the nine. It hap- if God answer when God answers and, it, and it, it occurs, we just move on to the next thing. Our mind shifts gear. I mean, if we asked for God to help us in a situation and God helps us in the situation, then we move on to the next situation or we move on to doing something different. And our mind, you know, we check that box and we keep going. Or maybe, and maybe this happens more often than we want to admit, Maybe when it does happen, we, we pray and we pray and we ask God to help us. We ask God to help us. And then God helps us. Maybe we don't go back and say thank you because we're too proud to go back and say thank you. If you go back and say thank you, you are, well, you're admitting a dependency that it's not something you did for yourself. You're not a self-made person at that point. You know, because you actually had to ask for help and had to get help. And so going back and saying thank you acknowledges that you needed somebody else, that you needed God's help in your life. You know, for me, the the times that I am able to kind of break away from the uh, kind of assuming that 
life should just always go the way it's supposed to go and forgetting is a lot of times when I wake up early in the morning and I just just have moments to, to pray, sort of meditate, it's then that I become aware of the surroundings. Hearing the, the birds outside, hearing the wind, hearing uh, the cat uh, that uh, inhabits the house, uh, being aware of my spouse next to me. Um, I think for me, I have to slow down a lot and listen to be to be really grateful for the smallest of things. We, we don't know that we have anything beyond today. In fact, we don't know that I have another breath to say the next line that I need to say to do this podcast. Everything is a gift of God, and it it's something that we should be grateful for uh, every day. But but so often we get so caught up, or um, we don't want to admit that we're dependent on on God. Uh, so we we just sort of keep going as if we somehow make this possible ourselves, or we deserve it, or it's it's ours because uh, we have a privilege to it. Uh, it, and it's those moments in life when it all comes to a stop that we realize maybe I should maybe I should be a little bit more grateful, just, just a little bit uh, more grateful than I've been. Yeah, yeah, I, I love uh, Native American Chief Dan George in his book uh, "My Heart Soars." He tells a story about going fishing with his father. And he he said early in the morning he got up and he would go out. He's not just one morning, but every morning on the fishing trip. He said he got up and and he would go out and he would see his dad standing at the edge of the river. And the sun would be rising and the breeze would be blowing. And it was just beautiful, you know, nature, the beauty of nature surrounding them. And, um, the opportunity for the two of them to be together, all of that. And he said the greatest lesson that he learned in that moment was he watched his dad every morning raise both arms up to the sky and simply look look, look upward and say over and over again, thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, it was a he had an opportunity in that moment to to be in nature. And to be with his son, and 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 who knew what was going the day was going to hold, but he started the day saying thank you. I think that that the idea of thanking God is it's something that we should do not just on Thanksgiving every year, um, but it's a daily practice because I think the idea of thanking God is actually one of our truest most personal forms of worship as Christian, because as a Christian, we know what we're dealing with in our life, and we know where God is at work in our life, and we know all of those things that are happening in our life. And so to be able to stop and to say thank you, it is, a, it is an act of worship for us. It's uh, in a way, it's like the doxology of praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's remembering and realizing that's where all the blessings come from. That's where the new day came from. 
That's where my next breath comes from. And so I need to say thank you and not take it for granted as I did, you know, yesterday <laughs> and the 300 previous days. Yeah, I, I'm always intrigued by the word you mentioned at uh, Eucharisto uh, to, uh, to, to be thankful and how that became the name for what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, we call it the Great Thanksgiving. Um, but you can look back at the history of the church where people recognized how deeply God loved them. And by remembering that story, by pausing and remembering what happened on that night when the disciples were gathered together, that that has been for the church over two millennia a means of pausing and saying, thank you. You didn't have to do this, but you did, and you're with us, and we have gratitude for that. So even in receiving the Lord's Supper, we're reminded each time we do that how grateful we are for what God has given us even our own salvation. And I and I love that the we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the first sharing of the bread and cup. When Jesus is in the upper room celebrating the meal with his disciples as part of the Passover season of the of the Jewish year. And if you think about it, the Passover wasn't a well it 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 was a powerful time it wasn't a happy time in that you were they were painting the the blood of the lamb on their door doorposts and lintels of their house to prevent the angel of death from coming in the angel of death would pass them over and then would go and take the firstborn of the egyptians etc all of that not as much fun as the festival of lights no 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 i mean it's not i mean that's a it's in every year for the jewish people it's a somber reminder of you know how god with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand brought them out of the land of egypt through a that god was with them through a lot of trials in egypt and in the wilderness and all the way back to the promised land and when Jesus gives us the sacrament of communion, it's happening in a period of time when he knows that within a couple of hours, he's going to be betrayed by one sitting at the table. And then he's going to be beaten, and then he's going to be tried, then he's going to be beaten, and then he's going to be tried, and then he's going to die on a cross. And so even the disciples around the table don't really understand what's going on. And so that's not a high a mountaintop high moment when we get the reminder of the sacrifice and the love of God through Christ Jesus that's in the giving of himself, all of himself for us. And I think that's where, I think that's for me a good reminder that we are not only supposed to thank God when we ask for something and, and we got it, um, or when everything's going great in life and everything is going perfectly as planned. Um, but we're supposed to look for the presence and the beauty of God in our life, the blessing of God in our life, even when things are hard. I mean, Martin uh, Reinhardt, who in 1617 wrote, Now thank we all our God, 
it was during the Hundred Years' War, and, and there had been plagues and famine, and there had been everything in the world in his village in Germany. And in one year alone, uh, Reinhardt did 4,500 funerals. He's a one person doing 4,500 funerals, including his wife and his children among those. And every funeral opened him up to likely dying. Yeah, he was exposing himself to the potential of all the all of the uh, plague and pestilence and everything else in in uh, um, in that area during the the Thirty Years' War, rather the Thirty Years' War in Germany. And yet, in the midst of that, he sits down and writes, Now thank we all our God with, with hearts and hands and voices. I mean, he writes a hymn of gratitude in the midst of loss because God was still with him. God was still present. And... I think of Horatio Spafford after losing so much in uh, in in his personal and professional life, losing business and losing uh, so much in in his community, and then losing his uh, losing his daughters and his wife. Uh, uh, cables him from uh, England that the boat had sunk and she had survived the daughters hadn't etc and he gets on the boat to go and join her in england and while crossing the area where the ship went where the previous ship had gone down he penned those words you know when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul i mean it's a great hymn of the presence of God, and, and it's a hymn of thanksgiving that God is still with us, even in the hard times. And perhaps, you know, the lesson from this is that we ought to, on a regular basis, uh, as the church ritualized, but we ought to sit down in the good days and in the bad days, and in our minds or on paper, write down the things that we perhaps have overlooked, but that God has done for us, it, it could turn into a hymn or into a song or into a prayer. Um, but I think pausing and stopping and taking a breath, those are the moments that I'm able to best uh, realize exactly what wonderful things God has done in my life. And, and that becomes perhaps a model for us as we go forward. So this week, as you are you are going uh, toward Thanksgiving, and then beyond this week, start looking in your life and asking where do I where do I go to God with my petitions, all a whole bowl full of petitions, and then forget to go back and fill another bowl with thank you. Where do I forget to say thank you to God? Where do I take for granted? parts of life the big parts like the you know the the love of family and friends the 
the opportunities that we have, the the roof over our head, the food on our tables, etc. And where do I forget to say thank you? And I take for granted things like the fact that I'm alive and have health and have opportunity to to be with others. And you know, what are all the things that we take for granted? And how can we stop and say thank you? And where in the midst of, of trouble do I allow myself to get so caught up in what's going on around me or within me that I forget to thank God that God is still with me? That in the midst of whatever I'm dealing with, that God with a mighty arm and an outstretched hand is still there with me. That whatever I'm facing, that a God who loves me so much that his own son gave his body and his blood for me. Where, where do I forget that? How do I forget that? Maybe we can remember God's presence with us, and maybe we can take time again to say thank you. Well, thank you for listening to us today, and I hope that this is a very good Thanksgiving week for you. And I hope that you'll develop within yourself a spirit of thankfulness that you can truly offer that worship to God on a frequent basis to say thank you, thank you to God.